Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everyone and everything in between. Welcome to episode 40-something-something of the Stay Positive podcast. Alex is here. And so is Pete. It's nice to see you, Pete. You know, we're we're recording this around the, the time of the U.S. Open. You know, we've mentioned we're both tennis players having fun yeah. watching the game. You know, it made me really appreciate tennis, you know, and games in general. It's... No, because, you know, it's fun to compete. It's fun to play games with your friends or with your enemies. But I, no, no, Pete, it's fine as long as you do one thing. Stay positive, right? No, no. That's okay, not the end thing. the episode there. No, <laughs> cut, cut. We're fine. <laughs> done with it. No, in every game, there's always, you know, kind of one rule. At least I think, you know, feel free to disagree with me. In every game... The rule is you want to come out on top. You want to win. Mm-hmm. We, That's true. That's would, totally true. Would you, would you say that is? Would you say there's a theory about those oh kind of things? Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so I, I delved into the game theory rabbit hole, so to speak. And I thought, I've always thought it's interesting, right? Have you ever looked at game theory and you were like, oh, this stuff is cool. It's a, it's a cool name, right? Game theory. But you have no idea what it really means. And then I read like a few... Uh, like investopedia investopedia and wikipedia like pages and i'm like oh i get it not really but yeah i get what it's supposed to be it's basically kind of like a social study of uh just how people behave in situation in basically sort of life like why do people do what they do which is ironic because that was a previous episode in and of itself but now we're going into the we're going into the deep stuff. The nitty gritty. Yeah. Well, so technically, it's defined as the strategic interaction amongst rational decision makers. Okay, maybe I was a bit too too far. Well, cause... you're basically there. You're basically there. Yeah, you understand. But we imply rationality, which you know, go on TikTok and you'll just find find out that not every decision we make is uh, the most rational. Yes. So. <laughs> Devoid of social media, people want to make decisions strategically for the benefit of their well-being, yes. right? And game theory seeks to try to explain that, and it adds so much structure around stuff that we literally had no idea could be structured. So it gives every decision we have like a like concrete purpose rather than just random meaning yeah. yeah everything that we do has meaning as per game theory so let's say i wanted to go to the store so i could cook myself something for dinner because i'm hungry right that could definitely be explained by game theory in some way shape or form and what you buy can be based on like how much money you want to save that's also game theory exactly. you could you could waste all your money but like you're trying to come out ahead so you're gonna like be strategically be like okay i'm gonna buy what I want limited to what I can't afford. Exactly. And on the other end, there's the people selling you whatever it is you're buying. And they want to they want to come out and hit on top, so they want to sell you as expensive as possible. Right. Which that is, follows game theory. It does. Apple is an expert at that, I'll tell you what. <laughs> so yeah, everything follows this structure, which is kind of nutty because when you think about it, literally everything around us is a game. Is a game simulation theory ah, but anyways any anyways 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 so have you heard of kevin not kevin john nash 
I, I have heard of him, yes. John Nash. So, and... A Beautiful Mind, the movie. Yes. Yeah, so he was the first person that really brought it to the forefront. He's the one that kind of popularized it because of his work at Princeton. Mm-hmm. And the whole movie was about him basically being this genius mathematician and making groundbreaking res- uh, results work, whatever, in the field of math because of what he found to be these sort of equilibria that you can achieve that you can measure yes with every with decisions being made. yes exactly as in one big thing is the prisoner's dilemma um this is the most famous i've heard of it i've been experiment. told about it multiple times i, I forget i forget get what it is <laughs> yeah it's the most famous thought experiment in ever a quick I guess. a quick thing a quick rundown what it is again yeah so basically there are two players let's say myself and you yes we're both about to be incarcerated unfortunate <laughs> um now the way that this goes is the da wants to prosecute us both right mm-hmm. and so oh i remember i remember this. yes so i can testify against you you can testify against me we can both testify against each other we can both not Basically, it's confess or not confess. That is the two choices you have. Now, if neither of us confesses, then the two of us can walk out free, no? If both of you walk out free. If both of you refuse to talk, you'll both come out free. If one of you confesses and the other one doesn't, you walk out free and the other one gets like 15 years or something. And... uh, vice versa for the other one and if you both confess you both go to jail for like however many years well yeah i mean yes and no so rather it's we both stay silent we only get one year i stay silent and you don't and you like you confess against me and then i get three years and you go free and then vice versa if we both confess then we get two so logically, what do you think people would want to do? I mean, when given the whole experiment, you would obviously say the smartest thing both of them to do. The optimal is for neither of them to talk. But now comes the dilemma of do you trust the other guy to think of like f- for the greater like good or for what he thinks is the best? And it's like, you don't know. You don't know because rationally both make sense so you're the, yeah you're in a dilemma of that sorts there and lies a dilemma exactly so rational decision making in this case would actually yield that we both end up confessing yeah and that is the quote-unquote nash equilibrium of this thought experiment so in the end the best possible outcome for us is to both serve two years the best outcome is not the ideal or no rather the most probable outcome not the best outcome is no no, of course Uh, the the one that's most likely going to happen is not the best outcome it's a worse outcome even though logically both of them would want the best their rationality and their whole the way they're playing the game for their own self-interest is because now they're thinking for them they're thinking rationally for themselves in this game that they both end up doing the least not the least optimal but a less optimal path yeah basically silly silly so anyways that was a roundabout way to kind of 
ask you what do you know about game theory aside from the fact that you literally are an econ guy you uh, used to be <laughs> what do i know about game theory i mean i'm sure there were a bunch of formulas i was supposed to remember that i forgot of course but um the, the main point with game theory as far as i can remember is you want to have the best outcome you want to look at every all your surroundings you want to look at all the variables given to you and you want to calculate i think we would call it utility in economics but mm. you want to calculate the the highest utility the most happiness you get aka the best outcome that you personally want and what sucks about these games is not every game is like this but in the game of you know living life everyone is playing that game and sometimes what someone's best outcome comes at the expense of you your best outcome for example the Pr prisoner's dilemma is a pr good example apple selling me a f multi-thousand dollar phone even though every other phone doesn't cost that much is another you know everyone's out it, everyone it's every man for himself you know kind kind of you know, you have different kinds of games. I think we're going to mention co-op at some point. Yeah. But uh, at the end of the day, you're playing for keeps, you know. You're you're playing to win. Yeah. And so that's what zero-sum games are. Because either there's going to be one person that wins, one, or one person that loses, negative one. Yeah. Or, and one person that loses. Yeah. Right? There is no both of us win in zero-sum games it's mutually exclusive yeah right? at someone wins someone loses tis life <laughs> yeah so okay that's interesting did you ever have any kind of really interesting experiments in economics that kind of showed you what game theory really means especially on a macro scale because like micro doesn't utilize a lot of game theory in my opinion i don't know if that's a wise thing to say necessarily, but from what I know about microeconomics and a lot of the theory, I think it doesn't really necessarily apply that much, unless it's just individual people. So for, I mean, microeconomics can be around, you know, individuals themselves. Macroeconomics is thinking on a global scale, is thinking about countries or huge groups of people acting as one. Yeah. Um, I think um, like in the last few years or so, you can see there's this huge uh, like emphasis on cancel culture. And it's yeah. like, what is cancel culture? You have these people who don't like something, you know, and it's a little bit on the petty side, if I'm being completely honest. But it is what it is. People, some people don't like things totally fine, but some people try to go out of their way to like stop it. Now, in their best interest, how do you achieve that goal, you know? Mm -hmm. And what they are doing is they're trying to make other people just as mad as they are. So, you know, not inherently provocation, but they're trying to convince you that what they hate is worth your hate. And, you know, they get enough people and scream loud enough, it starts to work, unfortunately. And you can see this is kind of one of those zero-sum games. Someone's got to win and someone's got to lose. Either someone gets canceled and those the petty people canceling win or they the people don't get canceled because nobody cares. 
and they lose. So I think that's a pretty, you know, big scale sort of thing. Fair enough. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a social situation, right? This is was... a social science. It's studying the decision making of people or entities. So it's so weird, too, because all of this is literally explained by math and numbers. Of course, you know, once again, the assumption is rational behavior. That is that is a big, you know, air quotes assumption there. But it is like you can learn a lot from this since most people with most decisions are thinking rationally. Well, that's ironic, too, because in a lot of strategic games, you want to actually throw in an irrational play every once in a while so that you can give yourself an edge you know this is actually a thing in poker where a lot of really high level players they'll do something that someone never expects like bluff an extremely Mm -hmm. bad hand for instance like they know that they're gonna lose money but they do it anyway you know something that you just wouldn't do it's called playing the game (laughs) right it's literally playing the game because they're giving themselves more spread across the we'll say um What's the name of the graph? The Bell curve? distribution. Yes, the dis- probability distribution. Mm-hmm. They're giving themselves more chances of attaining higher probability in outcomes. In the long run. Yeah, exactly. By doing stuff that may not actually be in their favor immediately. In the short run, yeah. Yeah, so. It's all coming back to me, economics. Long run, short run, supply demand curves. It's all there. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, anyways. Those things are called non-cooperative games. Most of the things that are zero-sum, the prisoner's dilemma, those are non-cooperative. Of course. Nash equilibrium in general occurs in non-cooperative games. Of course. It's every man for himself. Exactly. Well, I guess side note, but not really. Are most video games, like if you're just doing a campaign as uh, your own person, for instance, are you mostly doing a non-cooperative game are you playing a non-cooperative if it's game, a single player game if it's a single player game like purely then yeah it's not cooperative but there are games where you can work together games like um resident evil 5 introduced a co-op mode where it's like you and a friend can play together games like uh, moba games which are um like I don't, actually, I don't remember if League of Legends is MOBA, but you have games like League of Legends, you have Overwatch, you have uh, games that revolve on teams. So, like, you're, right. you and, like, five other people are working together to achieve an objective. and Or Le- Left 4 Dead. Left 4 Dead, best co-op game ever. Um, but here's where, I, here's where I'm pressing against it. There are teams working against other teams. Yes. So they're enshrouded under this larger non-cooperative game, are they not? For the for stuff like Overwatch, yes, it is um, team versus team. But there are stuff like uh, Resident Evil Five, which is you and your friend against artificial against AI, uh, so enemies, computer enemies. So in those kind of games, I assume you are working together. No. Against the NPCs, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's um, co-op, no? In, in the sense of game theory. I mean... Uh, you can say that. I guess because technically when you're playing against a computer that doesn't have some kind of intelligence, is not necessarily a rational decision maker because it doesn't have any strategy other than to combat you. Yeah. Then, yeah, that would be pretty co- 
cooperative. I would assume so. Yeah. Okay. But then you have other people that are trying to get one leg up on you. Then technically, that's non-cooperative that's... in a way. So like t- you're saying in a team game like Overwatch where it's five versus five, that's still kind of like a zero sum game because it's one team versus one team, and even though there are five people in those teams, it's still one v one in that regard. In the grand, in a grand scheme of things. Yeah, at least that's how I'm rationalizing it. Does it not make sense? It makes sense. Unfortunately, in the world of video games, there are things called griefers. You know what that is? No. It's basically people who go on to like co-op and team games and just intentionally play bad, just just to elicit <laughs> a reaction or just to have fun. Because you know, some people take games really seriously, like especially in the competitive scene. So when you go in there and you're just messing up. And the, the best is what or best slash worst is when they like semi try. So it's like they make you believe that they're like playing seriously, but they're just really bad, even though they're just deliberately messing things up. And you just see like these like try hard, just like you don't see their faces per se, but you just hear like the hatred in their voice when they are losing because they just blame that person and that guy in a weird way he's achieving his goal because he's like that's what he wants to see why there why it's just a game <laughs> is it though because what's the, what is the purpose of going on there i guess actually their their motive is more social in that regard right yeah play the game to play the game rather than play the game to win you know H- hence the irrational behavior sometimes you just do things for fun rather than do things for logical structural nash equilibrium reasons (laughs) fair enough okay so yeah i mean that dude was really smart man i mean iq over 160 or 170 no he was he was brilliant went to mit also and then he went to princeton for his phd not bad his dissertation on literally game theory practically and yeah i mean that's that's all i can really say about him because everything else is evident in literally how we interact on a daily basis so yeah if you're interested uh john nash is his name john nash john John forbes nash john forbes nash look him up he's a he's a brilliant genius yeah so okay that's non-cooperative games then we have cooperative games so you kind of hinted at this the two people in a game playing against a bunch of computer yeah, yeah npcs um there's also this thing called the cookie experiment you and i are baking cookies right i bake cookies at a rate of 10 an hour and you bake cookies at a rate of 20 an hour so naturally you'll be able to make more profit because you're faster right okay assuming we sell them at the same rate now we decide to team up okay so we want to make more profit by teaming up and we end up baking 40 cookies at an hour because I'm doing certain things while you're doing other things and we're just naturally better at it together. Right. Now, let's say together after one hour, we bake those 40 cookies versus alone, we had baked a total of 30 cookies because my 10 plus your 20, ah, right? Okay. Versus the 40. How would you split up the profits of those extra 10 that we made because you know technically the rate at which i you were working was 10 an hour i'm working 20 an hour and now we made uh an extra 10 right right how how would you because technically you can't just give it to me i'm technically slower that's counterproductive too i'm not going to give it to you 
because I put in some work as well. So we need to split it. Yeah. So the answer to this is it's really simple, actually. But when you dive deep into the math, it's a lot more complicated. (laughs) And I'm not I don't feel like going into that. But basically, the way that you would optimally divide it is by using something called the Shapley value equation. Oh, sweet. (laughs) Do you remember what that is? Did you ever use it? Yeah, I did. I forget what it was, but the name is so weird, you don't forget that name. Okay, so what I'm about to say is probably going to bring back some nightmares for you, but... Uh, It's okay. (laughs) Okay. Now, you technically gave a marginal contribution of 30 cookies to me. Because, look... If you take the 10 that I would have made myself and subtract it from the 40, yeah. then that leaves 30. So your marginal contribution was 30. is 30. Okay. Now let's reverse. My marginal contribution to you is, is 20, 20. Because I do 20 an hour. Yes, exactly. And now what you have to do is... You add those two up and divide by the, the difference that we're trying to ca- calculate yes so 30 plus 20 divided by 10 no divided by two because it's us two. Oh. so yeah my bad it, it's the number of players cooperating it is the addition it's just the average basically okay so you just add that marginal contribution divide by the number of players okay so it's 25 yeah so that would be you and then i would get 15 for instance. Ah, I see. So of the 40, I need to make 25 in that hour. You need to make 15. That's fair. Yes. That's okay. how much you can profit off of, assuming we sell each cookie for a dollar. Yeah, assuming we're sharing equally the rates at which we are to bake. These are the fa- these are the quote-unquote fair rates. Yeah, exactly. Now, let's take this up one higher level of abstraction. Here we go. Level up. <laughs> What say you when we have to make international treaties between nations or like Uh, (laughs) policies on climate change, environmental things, whatever? Oh, dear. Good Lord. (laughs) Because those are technically cooperative games right there. No one's trying to to get a leg up on someone else. They're trying to maintain each other. That is what we are told, yes. (laughs) you're saying don't feed into don't be a sheep is that no no just research this stuff yourself because you know politics is very muddy especially now so if you want to really do it but let's just let's just pretend we're all friends we're all working together for the greater good let's just make that rational assumption once more so okay so what's the goal? Reduce pollution, I guess? Yeah, let's literally use the an example of environmental protection or something like that. I mean, in this situation, the ideal scenario would be to check the carbon footprint of every country that is working together and try to measure what what is causing this. And how essential are these things? So like for cars, for example, in the United States are fairly essential. America, for the most part, I think I read this somewhere, is not designed for walking. Europe, on the other hand, is a lot more walker, biker friendly. Mm -hmm. So to reduce Europeans' carbon footprint may be a lot easier than to reduce America's. But in the 
essence of working together, you know, it would it would be hard because you you need to find a substitute. You can't just say done, we're we're gone because that's not in our favor anymore. Even if it's in the favor of the world, it comes at our expense, which is it's like not fair. Maybe if Europe could, you know, invent an electric car of their own and just like donate some. Okay, problem solved, I guess. Well, donate a few hundred million or so, that'll do it. Okay, so the unfortunate flaw in your argument is the fact that you're basing it on altruistic tendencies. That we we know we have them, but you know, in this uh, case it's it's not all the answer because someone has to spend time and money to build all that infrastructure. And who's going to want to do it? if no one is necessarily going to benefit from it outside of that infrastructure. This is why it's hard, because it's like, if the carbon footprint is bad, the quote-unquote optimal solution in the essence of stopping it would be stop factories, stop cars, stop buses, stop planes, stop boats, or stop uh, automated stuff. Go back to wagons and wooden boats that'll be the solution which is not no one's gonna do that anywhere not even europe will do that um so what's the next best thing well now we have to work together and see like what's like we need to analyze the threat we need to understand like what's the worst that can happen should we keep going in our course of action now um we need to hypothesize what would happen if it accelerates so let's say we're using more greenhouse gases and more energy as time progresses we need to hypothesize the negative outcome if we do that we need a hypothesis we need to like look at every case scenario and we need to see it from every different country and we need to see every different angle and we need to see what's the worst that's going to happen like we need to plan for the worst because we need to care for the planet if if you want to anyway and in this situation you need to now choose which of these is like the most efficient in the realm of utility in the realm of helping the planet while also maintaining our current infrastructure and simple right <laughs> yeah way easier said than done so i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to go back at you again and say you still haven't really answered the question because what what was what, the question again it's how do you go about something like this cooperatively with within a coalition you know like let's say for just thought experiment purposes myself and you are two countries and there's a demilitarized zone between us that we need to operate over so we have to cooperate in order to structure any policy around this demilitarized zone between us. So, like, what are we going to do with it? Exactly. Because me and you are at a crossroads. Or we're at war, right? But we don't want to, you know... Fight anymore. We, we are, we're more like a stalemate. Okay. And there's this cross-section of land that we refuse to touch because it's just between... It holds us away from each other and... There's people that live there, and imagine if, like, North and South Korea were separated by Switzerland. And you got me? The question is, what we... Let's do, say... Do we both want Switzerland? Yes. We want, we want to enact our changes, but we know that 
if one takes the other, then it'll be yeah. catastrophic for both parties. Okay. Right? So now how do we cooperate to, quote unquote, create these, you know, I mean, these policies? If history is anything to go by, it's usually just split it in half and just say my half, your half. Right. But then what happens to the country that has a bigger GDP? Like South Korea, for instance. It prospers and the other suffers. Is that is that necessarily true? Because remember, let's bring it back to the cookies. Like you're you, you could say you're South Korea, I'm North Korea. You're making twenty, I'm making ten, right? Technically you should get more. That's how that's how the equation works. That's right. how mathematically it breaks down, but I mean that's you can't an, split it in half. It's a bad example, but uh, in, in at least the countries you're choosing. I, I'm i using it because I'm thinking of literally two places. That, that are right are, next to each are other. Are right next to each other, separated by a strip of land. And, and assuming they are semi-allies, they don't want to fight, but they also want to benefit themselves. Yes, and they don't necessarily like each other either. <laughs> But they still need to work together. I think it's actually the best example I could have used. What do you mean? It's it's okay. Because I just... <clears throat> so how would you divide the land? I mean... It's hard. Because on the one hand, we can just fight to the death for it. And winner takes all. On the other hand, we can completely just leave it alone. So nobody gets anything. So we're equal at zero. On the flip side, trying to split it. So this is the this is the question: How do we split it? Assuming right. that is the way the route we want to go. Yeah. Who gets what? So this is the same thing as the, the environmental dilemma. policy. This is the same thing that a lot of countries face. This is literally this dilemma right here. How do you split up? How do you cooperate non-cooperatively? <laughs> or ra- rather, how do you gain an edge on someone while not gaining an edge on someone what you want to make people compromise yeah so it's just a matter of technically yeah technically it's a matter of compromise but a lot of countries tend to not do that you know they like i said they try to cooperate non-cooperatively they try to win in a friendly manner yeah which makes no sense and this brings me to the other thing i wanted to talk to you about which is this talk that simon sinek had it was literally instead of cooperative non-cooperative games he was splitting it into finite and infinite games by the way you should totally read this book it's amazing what's the name of the book it's that finite and infinite games finite and infinite games by simon no no no. it's by james p cars james p cars yes but there was a ted talk simon sinek gave about it Mm -hmm. and just to quickly recap a finite game is a game that's played for the purpose of being finished an infinite game is a game that's played for the purpose of being perpetuated of course so finite infinite. you get it yeah it's almost as if countries are trying to finitely win an infinite game which makes no sense at all you know like for instance you cannot compare a tennis match that we're going to watch in three hours to the game of life or to a business it's it's hard because as humans as animals really we want things done a certain way like uh, this is just a very small tangent but like i saw a video of a cat and the cat no no listen listen to me the cat would meow for food okay 
that's normal, right? And uh, one day this cat started meowing to the owner, but like freakishly meowing, like abnormally loud and panicky. And the owner went to the food bowl, dropped the food, and the cat wasn't going to the food. And the cat went to the living room and they went to the window. And the owner was sitting there for a few minutes, like looking around and the cat's just staring out the window. And he noticed that the bird feeder fell or the bird feeder wasn't attached to the window anymore. It was gone. Mm -hmm. So then he went outside, put it back up and the cat like calmed down. And I read somewhere that uh, after after watching that video, I read that cats usually like routine. They like things to stay constant. They don't like change. So even something so minor as like something moving out of place, it, it freaked the cat out. And I think humans, to a certain way, we're not cats, but we also like things our way, you know? I... I, I'm a full advocate for diversity, but there is such a thing as culture clash. Like sometimes cultures believe in two different things that end up being semi somewhat different to each other and go in opposite directions of each other. Yeah. And it's hard. It's not impossible. America exists, proves it's not impossible. But it's in moments like this, it can be difficult for both of the cultures to coalesce because the two go in opposition to one another. And in this situation, think of this on a grand scheme now. So let's just go use the most safe example since everyone kind of agrees it was bad. Uh, the Third Reich, Germany. They had their vision, they had their way, quote unquote, and they wanted to enforce it mm -hmm. on the world. So what's the easiest, well, not easiest, what's the simplest way to make your belief the belief of the whole world? To own the world. Yeah. That'll do it. And obviously that's messed up and bad, but at the same time, it does make theoretical sense if i own everything i can say what is right and what is wrong and we can do things my way yeah now obviously this we've talked about this several times in the past you know who's to say your way is the right way who's to say your morals are m morally acceptable or ethical you know so th that's a whole different can of worms the point is in this version of the game this is one outcome and the thing is, which is ironic and nobody seems to learn this, is that global expansion never works. No one, no big empire has lasted forever because it's That's too... why you do planetary expansion instead. <laughs> it's true. But because uh, it's just the logistics of it. If something's really big, it's harder to manage. Yeah. Like, so that's why you do galaxy expansion. galactic expansion yeah that all that sounds simple <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah i mean finite and infinite games are essentially them clashing is what's been going on like the the cold war he says the cold war never ended it's really just an infinite game of people trying to get one leg up on each other yeah and, and, and maintaining their supremacy amongst the economic and political spectrum right yes and, and and that's what i wanted to bring up so in the so nazi germany was trying to conquer the world to enforce their rule didn't work thank god yeah and uh, but that's 
sl- I bring up this extreme example because it highlights the point. People want to do things their way. And right now we are quote unquote civilized. We're not, we don't use mm. war anymore, at least not in our first world countries. It's a lot more countries. covert now. Yeah, it's a lot less uh, abrasively violent. You yes, could say. it's not. The global wars now are not like of the ones of old. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the battles or games, if ah. you would, are being handled in front of desks in front of in, in chairs you know in meetings in mean in meetings basically oh in meetings yeah oh, the whole compromise the whole like we're working together but like the truth is we all have our own desires like every country's leader want is looking out for themselves it sucks i wish that wasn't the case but at the end of the day because i I had a class in college and we spent one full lecture talking about ethics. And he said, is it ethical to use computer science to spy on people? And the answer is no. But my question to the professor is, if America stops spying on people, can you look me in the eye and say China and Germany and Russia will stop spying on us? And the answer is no. Or the answer realist is like, it's the prisoner's dilemma again. It's like the best thing, like the most ethical thing would be for everyone to stop spying on each other. Mm. That's the best outcome. But should I be the first and decide I'm going to stop spying on you? There's no guarantee. Your best outcome now is to keep spying on me. So it literally full circle here right now. It's (laughs) this is brilliant. (laughs) No, it's it is because it's like. The best, like, the most ethical in this situation is everyone stops spying, everyone stop killing each other. That's the best. But, like, the truth is, if I start, if I stop, your best interest now is to get a one-up on me and to keep spying on me. So, th- that's the dilemma we're in. We can't, no one can stop because we don't have a good enough trust with each other that the other person, because logically it makes no sense. It's in their best interest. Should I stop? They keep going. Exactly. And that's the problem itself. It is not being able to distinguish the act of perpetuation, of economic and political perpetuation, all these cycles of trying to make yourself the greatest country while also providing the people around you the, your subjects and those around your country it's an infinite, some kind of thing it's an infinite game no that it's is an, an infinite, infinite prisoner's dilemma we're yeah. all prisoners well that's an infinite game right but the problem is that people are trying to solve it using finite means maybe that's why history keeps repeating itself we're we're well, yeah. doing infinite calculations but using some using the opposite of infinite to try and figure it out no, think think about it. It's it's actually really it it makes sense. You know, you shouldn't want to try to end something that is never not ending. meant to be end ended. Are we creators or destroyers? Oh my god, stop. <laughs> <laughs> but like it's true. Like at the end of the day, should we keep going down this road? Someone's going to conquer someone else. They're going to get big. They're going to have their golden age. And then things start getting bad. And then their society starts to collapse. And then it starts to split apart. And then they fight pointless wars against each other because some guy 
looks different than the other guy or believes a slightly different variation of their own beliefs kill each other realize hey we've killed each other for like a few years maybe decades maybe even centuries who knows and then we're like hey let's not do this anymore maybe and then we're like you know what i don't feel like dying today let's stop the killing and so we stop and then we're civilized now we're we're shaking each other's hands it's like you know you killed a bunch of us we killed a bunch of you but it's all good now and for a brief time it is and then we're like we, we can't trust these these people you know they killed so many of us you know can we really trust them and then it just goes back and and then yeah. we spend decades pretending to be friends but the truth is we're all out to get each other and then someone crazy enough decides to actually do it to like go out and do it the hard way and if he succeeds or she succeeds then loops again and if she, he or she fails that state or that infrastructure or that country, whatever, it'll fall and a new ruler will take its place. And then the peace lasts a bit longer until some other crazy guy tries. And you just keep going until that inevitable person succeeds in conquering and we're back at square one. Unless we turn into a hive mind. I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it... I don't want to do it. It's Amen. right. But hive minds have their own flaws because it's like, what happens if the main brain is wrong? Now we're all wrong. But what happens if there is no such thing as a main brain? What if we are all the main brain? Then are we even different at all? What's, Not necessarily. That's just one being now, isn't it? Yeah. What happens if another hive mind comes to us? It just starts over oh, again. <laughs> well, this is this, this brings, brings us back to the Overwatch, the video game team thing. It's like, yeah. is it really co-op or is it just one v one teams with multiple people in the team? So if we're a hive mind and theoretically another hive mind comes, it's now it's back to one v one again. It's no longer one unified. It's like two different unified, two different separate unified groups going at each other trying to one-up the the other i can't wait which for one takes interplanetary presence? sports to be a thing Ooh. earth versus mars let's go what's your favorite game what's your favorite strategic rational decision making game um you can't go wrong with chess i also like i like tetris chess tetris um there's a slight there's a mobile game and i don't like mobile gaming but i like this one this is a pretty simple game it's called 10 10 1 0 1 0 it's basically like tetris it's basically you have a 10 by 10 grid mm -hmm. and a bunch a bunch of tetris like blocks are put like underneath the grid and you just have to drag it in and fill in the blanks and once you fill in a row it it eliminates and it gives you points and the gimmick is just go as long as possible. Oh, okay. And, I think I know that game, actually. And it's it's just fun. Because, you know, because eventually you get to the part where it's like the whole board is filled. But, like, there's enough spaces to play, keep going. But, like, one false move and it's over. Game over. Yeah, so you have to, like, now start really... It's a basically an endless puzzle. Yeah, that's ironic, actually. That is an infinite game. That is an infinite game. But then you have chess, which is a finite game. It is, but computers still haven't found every possible outcome, which is insane. To chess? Yeah. Computers haven't That's figured true. out every winnable game. That is so true. 
and it's wild which is it's funny though because computers still will beat us at that game even though they don't know they can't see every possible future but they'll still see too they'll see so far into the future that it doesn't even matter if they don't see it all they'll still beat us anyway yeah i mean to be totally honest computers also will be able to get there eventually so can we but so that begs the question then what happens when we face some sort of computational i don't want to say singularity per se but some kind of event in which computation will always render our rational decision making useless you know like what happens if i decide i want to be the best person i can be i want to maintain all of my choices my free will if you will um and a computer can give you all the possible outcomes yeah you still have to choose is that game theoretic i mean the thing about that is the computer the thing that makes us quote-unquote superior to the computer is i don't think the computer can ever fully understand irrationality it's true because it's all just ones and zeros in the end yeah it can't like there's humans can always be a wild card you can always just do something out there that's just as far as like computation and human understanding goes we haven't fully understand why people do insane stupid things maybe there is some hidden like psychological understanding for the insanity of humanity nice but uh we haven't found it yet and i don't and because we program computers i'm not sure they will ever find it either until we figure it out first it's an interesting thought yeah but you know insanity it's it's hard to really compute it insanity is hard to compute yeah i guess well it's there's too many too many players yeah and that's the thing right if the computer somehow picks every optimal outcome for you there's two now there's two factors one can you follow the computer's instructions perfectly Mm. which you know technically yes but like have fun trying and two can the computer the computer did the computer predict like an accident did the computer predicts a different person intervening did the computer and most likely not the computer can only in this hypothetical obviously since computation hasn't reached this level of social predictability the computer would need wouldn't have to somehow factor everyone else and their optimality so and there's nine billion people on earth so that's going to be one computational equation a pretty big one <laughs> for the computer to somehow somehow factor in nine billion people to get your optimal every optimal prediction uh life choice for you it has to factor in nine billion other people's optimal factors and see which ones potentially intervene with your optimal things and then somehow have to predict with like it's nine billion to the nine billionth power level of computation because every person has to be calculated for each other person or maybe nine billion no yeah, no, 9 billion to the 9 billionth power. I'm right. 
I was going to say factorial, but no, that is correct. 9 billion to the 9 billionth power is the amount of computations. And that's for one. That's for one life path. So if it's predicting multiple life paths for you, multiple different choices, you multiply the 9 billion to the 9 billionth power to the however many life choices you want power. So have fun, computer. <laughs> this is why quantum computing is the future, oh isn't it? God pretty big number what i can't even wrap my head around that uh well <laughs> maybe in an infinite game we can process that <laughs> you know one infinite game i want to constantly be playing what pete the positivity one <laughs> the positivity one all day every day now and forever in the realm of infinity yes stay positive everyone